This is Eastman's Elevated Podcast. I have on great guests that are really knowledgeable, consistently successful. We're able to dive deep down the rabbit holes of these different subject matters of shooting, of physical fitness, of mental toughness and drive. All the different skills that make up a complete hunter that you can become. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Yo, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So on today's podcast, I have on my buddy Cody Wilson. Uh, Cody Wilson's Instagram is Wyoming Backcountry Bowhunter. Uh, I really like Cody. So I've been doing the Western Hunting Summits with Cody the last handful of years, and um, I just always really enjoy hanging out with him. So uh, the guy's absolutely hilarious. Uh, I'd uh, I'd love to share my text chain I have with the guys. I'm constantly getting laughs out of him, but um, he's just an absolute great bow hunter. Uh, he specializes in elk and in calling, so I thought this would be a timely one to get out to you guys as it's um, here in the, the beginning stages of September in the rut, and Cody is really good at calling in these bulls, so... Uh, yeah, we dive into it, his techniques, his tactics, his uh, approach and the way he thinks about calling. I really enjoyed the conversation. I really like this guy. I know you guys will enjoy it too. I've been trying to get him on the podcast here for, uh, well, for a few years. We just, uh, we're always so busy with things, but I finally got connected with him. We recorded one and getting it out to you guys in September. So um, super pumped about this one. So we'll get started. Just want to thank a couple of my sponsors. I want to thank Savage. So Savage builds the best accurate rifles that are right outside the box accurate. They have a bunch of different models, uh, different price points in them. Like I know the guys at Eastman's really like the 110 Ultralight. The 110 Ultralight has an Accu trigger, so you don't have to take it to a gunsmith to be able to adjust the trigger. You can do it yourself. It also has an Accu stock, which you can adjust the length of pull. You can adjust the comb height. You can you can make it fit. Uh, your frame perfectly, which makes for a real accurate rifle, and they just get along with all different ammo types. Uh, super pumped. I put together a rifle that I've shot, and um, yeah, I really like the accuracy of it, and um, like I say, it just shot great groups. Just any ammo I chose, uh, had it sighted in within a few shots. Uh, Savage just builds great, accurate rifles. So if you're in the market for a new rifle, make sure to check them out, and um, Thanks to Savage Arms for their support of the podcast. I also want to thank Sig Sauer. Uh, so, so impressed with Sig Sauer Optics. Um, I think they build the absolute best rangefinders on the market. Uh, do incline, decline, same range with light and dark targets. Uh, it, it'll shoot through grass on best priority target mode. And now you can put in the speed of your bow, which also affects the cut. Uh, so you can just get it perfect. Like last year, I shot that muley down a 50-degree slope and um, just put it on them, you know, due to that that great cut that, that um, Six Hour gave me. So you can check out their rangefinders, check out their glass. Uh, they're the only ones that are doing the image-stabilizing binos. They have a new model out, and that new model, it has their higher-end glass in it. Uh, they do 12-power they do uh, 16 power and 20 power. They also have a pair of 10 by 32s, but I think the best bang for your buck are the 12 by 42s. That's what I'm using around my chest rig, and I just bought a ton of critters with those things. So beneficial to have this stable image. So you check those out. Those are the Zulu 6s. 
And then they just have their new glass that they came out with, uh, their Zulu 10s. Uh, so this replaces their Zulu 9 um, pair. And, uh, man, they're just great glass. Uh, so impressed by these things. So I uh, just got in a pair of 10 by 42s I'm also getting a pair of 16s and just so crisp. Uh, these guys have, have really outdone themselves, this R&D turn team and they work really hard at it bringing us the best glass so i'm so impressed if you guys are in the market for any new optics uh, make sure to check them out as they're producing great products and thanks to sig sour for their support of the podcast i also want to thank uh, uh, black ovis black ovis is an internet retail shop that has absolutely everything you need for your next hunt they carry all the top name brands as well as their own name brand which is high quality uh, you can save a pile of money there by shopping with them. Uh, they ship direct. And then also you can save 10% off your order. So if you have an order, to save 10% is huge. Just put in the p- promo code ELEVATED10 at checkout, and that'll save you some bucks. Uh, I also want to thank Camo Fire. Camo Fire is an app. They have 80 new hunting deals that come up every 24 hours. You can save a pile of money on here. A lot of my buddies are using this app and picking up great gear. Uh, my buddy up in um, BC that you heard on the last podcast, I believe, Adam, uh, he uses that camo fire quite a bit and has picked up some great gear from there. So uh, make sure to check them out. You can uh, download the app and look for those hunting deals that come up and um, save yourself some cash. And with that, over at Eastman's, um, man, we're keeping busy. I'm trying to get out articles and, um, you know, we do the, the both the magazines, the Eastman's Hunting Journal, Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal. Uh, you can check up our check out our Tag Hub as our internet research site. Uh, Tag Hub 2.0 uh, just has some new mapping systems to it, and uh, always improving it and great information there. So it helps you get uh, great vast knowledge of all these units and the hunts they offer. And so the guys do a great job there. Check out the Mule Deer course. You can put in the promo code Brian MDC get a, a Mule Deer kit or a kill kit. Uh, Black Ovis bags, which I believe are the best an outdoor edge knife and then um, that gets you um, access to that mule deer course so um, yeah brush up on your mule deer hunting here before your season starts and um, yeah uh, we had the beyond the grids the new season of that a couple of my hunts are on there a couple of dan Picard's hunts and um, some more hunts being released so i um, proud of how those films came out and uh, trying to produce some good films this year which i'm super excited about but um yeah That's what I have, man, just um, burning the candle at both ends here, trying to get um, construction work done and um, podcast work and, um, you know, keep keep everything rolling and then also get on these hunts. But I'm having an absolute riot, just um, grinding it out, been on some great adventures, some more good ones coming up. So I'm going to get this podcast out to you guys and uh, start elk hunting. So I can't wait. This is a great podcast to kick it off. Um, So Cody Wilson... Uh, just so knowledgeable about calling, about bow hunting, and a great salt-of-the-earth guy that I always get a good laugh out of. So, um, yeah, I'm your host, Brian Barney, Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. And, um, plus, you're doing a podcast with the tech wizard, so uh, that's what you get. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, man, um, super fun hanging out with you at that summit. Um uh, I just noticed, like, the camaraderie, like, you have with all those guys. Like, man, you've done hunts with all those guys. Uh, hunts, like, with buddies must be a big part of it for you, too, huh? 
Yeah, it's super awesome. Like, you know, to be able to get to hunt with like Brian and Jason and Dirk and guys like that, like it's it's super awesome. Great guys and they know how to hunt. That's the cool thing. And they want to go. So it's super fun. Yeah, yeah. So you're going elk hunting with all these guys. Yeah, I noticed that you're that your buddies with all of them. It's also a bit of an art how you're able to tease them, you know. It's like nothing is funnier to me than when you can give your buddies a little hell and you're really good at it. <laughs> it's yeah. I like to get my jabs in when I can. <laughs> you say it's a straight face it's like uh just hilarious like that that one morning we were glass and i think you were sitting there with phelps and uh maybe Corey was there gosh i was i was just rolling gosh that was funny yeah i i enjoy giving phelps crap more than anybody <laughs> well him or mark right that's probably a toss-up oh well yeah mark <laughs> the phelps mark, mark <laughs> Oh man, it's just hilarious. Yeah, it's um to me that's true humor too, right? It's like when you can give your buddies some hell or like I like to joke about the situation we're in, either that we're not gonna see any elk or that we're gonna hit get hit by lightning. Like to me that's just the funniest thing, like when you're on the mountain. Oh yeah, and it's it's super fun with good buddies like that. They, they, you know, they can take it and they can also give it back. And you know, there's no hard feelings, nobody gets upset. So it's, yeah, it's super cool. Yeah, it's the best. It's like, um, you know, a big part of what we do, like you were saying, it's like, uh, uh, for me, friends and family and hunting, but my friends are really important to me. So like being able to share these hunts and share some laughs and share some adventures is like a huge part of it. And you're going to like these wild places and chasing elk with these guys. Uh, it seems like when you have a shared experience with a, bu with a buddy, it's just like a... Uh, it, it's like a, a a better friendship than like just having a beer with a guy, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Especially in the mountains. Like, I don't know if it can get any better. You know, you go spend that amount of time in wild places with guys and give each other crap. And like you build this camaraderie that's, you know, it'll last forever. Yeah, for sure. No, it, it will. Yeah, I remember seeing um, Lampers hunting with you. Uh, they did that film and then, um, man, you called that bull right into his lap. And, and like you said, like, it's fun to hunt with guys that are really good hunters too. Like not only, uh, do they have that instincts to make the right moves at the right times, like Ryan did there and let that bull come right in and shot him in the front, like super close, but also like hunting with buddies as well, or like, a, a real capable, uh, woodsman is that you don't have to worry about them like if it starts getting dark you're not worried about them making it back to camp or, or finding the way to camp and I, I like that too I definitely don't like babysitting yeah for sure guys that are experienced you know there is no worries like you all you're all experienced you all know what to do in any situation you know how to use your maps you know how to get back to camp like it's it's so much better than you know I I like to take new hunters but I don't do these 10 day hunts in the back country that are super hard, you know, um, guys like Ryan, Jason, they all have that mindset. Like we're going to kill out, you know, we're going to be successful and we all know how to get it done. And, you know, there's that mutual respect there too. So it's super cool. Yeah. You're going to some wild places, right? Like you like hunting the most remote country you can find. So you're based out of Wyoming and you're diving like deep into these wildernesses, huh? Yeah. Um, 
we go as far as we need to to find the elk. I like to find the elk that are untouched, but these places that you know, Wyoming, it's kind of like Montana, you know, it's full of grizzly bears. Um, some of these places we go, it's tons of grizzly bears. You see more bear scat than you do elk tracks or any other scat. So, yeah, some of these places are super wild. Yeah, it's definitely a little sketch, but I think to have like these, um, to have these wild adventures and to have these wild experiences, you also got to have skin in the game. Like if there's no danger, then there's no fun. Like there, there's almost got to be a little element of danger, but those, those grizzly bears are gnarly. I know I hunt in real thick grizzly bear country and, um, man, I, I think, um, you know, I practice with my pistol and keep my head on a swivel, like camping good spots. Like I do all the right things. And I think that's, you know, kept me safe for the last 20 years. But then you just think like some of these things that attack just come in so quick. So your experiences with them, you just, um, are you like me where you give them a wide berth? If you're inside a hundred yards, kind of back out of their area, try to stay out of where they are. Or what are some of your bear tips for hunting an absolute thick grizzly bear country? Yeah, definitely. You know, obviously always packing a pistol, bear spray. Um, and then you hit anything with that pistol. I try to, I don't <laughs> tough to say the heat of the moment, if it was actually an attack, but, uh, yeah, I'm the same way. You know, if you see a bear, don't approach it, go around, stay away from it. Um, we've had some encounters like at 20, 30 yards, uh, mm. with cubs and it, it helps to hunt in groups of three people or more, you know, I think, 100%. I don't know what the statistics is, but I, I can guarantee you the people that are hunting solo that are getting attacked, um, your chances are way higher solo than three or four of us than somebody getting peeled up pretty bad by a bear, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's a true story, Cody. Yeah, you're right. Like, just having a buddy or, like, having a group definitely makes you way more safe in there. Yeah, I had... I had a black bear charge me, like, a few years ago that I stuck with an arrow. Maybe I told you this, but... I shot nine times with my pistol. I didn't find my sights until the seventh shot. Like I, I, I grazed him once and hit him twice. I did the job before he got to me, but um, it wasn't too pretty. There was dirt flying and I, I was just pointing my pistol at him. So that's what made me realize that I need to be better with my pistol. Just building myself a shooting process, like being able to find those sights, really practicing my draw and dry firing, like practicing my draw, finding the target, dry firing, like, I have a ton more confidence now because it does no good to have a pistol on your hip that you just never shoot, that you just figure you'll be good at it when it's time. Right. Yeah. It takes some practice firing the sights when you're trying to. It's, it's super helpful to practice that stuff. Yeah. Which pistol are you packing? So right now I'm packing a Glock 10. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do too. I love those things. I love having like more shells as my uh, shooting display last time showed off that six isn't quite enough for me. But and then just the accuracy, it feels like those things are so accurate. Like when you actually look at your sights, like you could roll a pop can down the road, you know, and so it's like nice to have that accuracy and nice to have that ammo and those tens hit pretty hard too. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Um, like, uh, uh, talking with Cole Kramer, he guides for brown bears up in, uh, Kodiak. So those giant brown bears that we see up there. And he says that our bears have a worse attitude than those brown bears. They're just like, 
they're ornery. Inland grizzly bears are just angry, aren't they? Like uh, most of them mind their manners and go the other way. Like what I worry about is that hundred yards fight or flight. I worry about sows with cubs. And I really worry about like bears that have claimed a carcass or something. Like I think they'll attack right away. But for the most part, when I run into a bear, he usually goes the other way. Yeah. I don't, I've never experienced any of them coastal brown bears over there, but um, I, I do know that the bears over here are super temperamental. Like you never know what you're going to get. So it's like, you're always like on edge in that type of country. On edge. Yeah. And rightfully so. But that country has some great elk hunting and it does keep the people away as there is like an added element and an added danger. And so you like going to these wild places. Are you taking horses into these places most times, Cody? Um, It's about, I don't know, I'd say probably about 60, 40 split, like 40% of the time we will. Um, 60% of the time we're just backpacking in on foot. Mm-hmm. Man, there's, um, you chase around some great bulls, man. Um, there's just nothing better than like a Montana or Wyoming, like mountain bull. I just think it's like a, a different echelon or a different caliber elk. And not that I'm not going to go hunt them in Arizona or hunt them in New Mexico when I draw the tag, but there's something about just like a, a big dark horn mountain bull that gets me going. Oh, absolutely. And then, you know, the places that it takes you in Wyoming or Montana compared to Arizona or Nevada it's like it's to me it's it's the hunt that I want you know like that backcountry experience that wild place yeah it's the the purest form of hunting elk that you can have you know it's not hunting it off a four-wheeler or skitter road like uh it's just the purest form of elk hunting that you can go find and you're right like some of that Wyoming country man um yeah, it's, it's just uh, wild, like just with the cliff bands and then the the high altitude and the different timber and then like just those pocket parks or those meadow parks back there. And then there's just so much of it too, right? Like like miles and miles and miles away from civilization where you don't see a tent or a campfire burning and like you're the only one back there chasing bulls, which is pretty cool. Yeah, no, it's super awesome. I think that hunt that Ryan and I went and did – uh, what was it, 21 or two? Um, we didn't see a, another soul after we left the trailhead. So it's like, there's nobody back there but us. So it's super awesome. Dude, that's the dream. Well, and then you guys just got into the elk party. Like, um, elk hunting, it's like when you can really get into them. Like, it's fun. You know, it's fun looking for them. It's fun being in wild country, but they have to be like the most thrilling animal to go hunt. And like when you really get into them like you guys were, where there's multiple bulls sorting out their cows and bugles echoing from every draw, like that's the dream. Like I'll I'll go, you know, like it seems like you don't find that magic every day you're out elk hunting for sure, right? It's like a special day and elk season is a short season, so you may only get a couple windows but like how thrilling is it or exciting? Like when you find the elk party and you got a big one going off, but there's like three or four of them back there and you just dang near run yourself ragged, trying to keep up with them, trying to arrow one of those big bulls, man, that's as fun as it gets. Oh yeah. There's nothing better. When you hit the Mecca of the rut and elk are screaming everywhere around you, like it doesn't get any better. Not for me anyways. No, 
No, uh, it doesn't get any better. Yeah, that's exactly it. Well, yeah, so you stated like when we first started talking that um, that you're looking for these elk that are unpressured. So that's pretty much your forte or method of operation, right, is to look for these um, lower pressure elk? Yeah, yeah, I like to get away, get off the trail, get in the backcountry and, you know, go have that space to my where I can find these elk that are hanging out back there, not touched. They're not called to a lot. So it's, they're more, I just find they're more receptive, you know, easier to call in that type of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it definitely makes sense. It seems like these higher pressure elk, they, it almost seems like a different species at times. If you like really hunt the high pressured ones, they get chased by 10, 15, 20 humans a year. So a lot of these bulls that you're running into, maybe they've been chased by humans, but they haven't been called to that year, haven't been found. And there's just nothing better than hunting elk being elk. Like, uh, and I just mean like, hunting high pressure elk they'll just change their habits due to the hunting pressure they know humans are after them but boy when you can go go in the back country like it's worth the extra effort and extra work to get in there when you can find a bull that's unpressured they just act different yeah absolutely they're just like you said they're elk being elk you know they're doing elk things at the right times they're supposed to be doing it you know and it's it's phenomenal to watch where they're not pressured where you can go in there and interact with them and they're very receptive. So, I mean, that's, that's what I'm looking for. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Well, and you've, um, you've honed your craft over the years. Like I really like listening to you talk about calling elk. Um, you know, it's like anything you do, just like the, the more you do it, the better you get. And you've got a ton of that experience chasing these backcountry bulls. Like you start to figure out a method of operation. So, like, um, uh, first is like always to locate a bull. And so, uh, you're, you're diving into the backcountry, whether you're backpacking or whether you're horsebacking, and then are you getting back up there and then you're searching out different drainages and ridge lines, hunting mornings and evenings and trying to get a locate or how do you go about like finding a bull you want to chase? Yeah. So I'll, even in the mornings, like I'm climbing a ridge and I'm getting up on a ridge. I, I want to be up top couple reasons you know i first off i want my bugles to carry as far as they can second of all if i'm up high i can still use my glass right so it helps a lot and then you know when i'm bugling locating off these ridges like every drainage i can i can cover both sides mm. just by bugling so now i've doubled my odds right to finding elk to mm -hmm. locate and then the other thing about that is it, as long as I'm hitting that high note up on top, it just seems to carry further down these drainages. So I'm just covering as much country with my bugle and my glass as I can to locate these elk. Oh, that makes good sense, Cody. So, yeah, you're, you're taking the high ridge lines and not too worried about your scent going downhill in the morning as you're just trying to locate first before you're going to hunt this elk so you work these ridge lines and then you're bugling off either side uh make a bugle like hold really still and then listen for an answer to echo out of one of these canyons and then you know you got a bull huh yeah absolutely you know and i may even if i get a response down in a draw i may test him a couple two or three times just to see you know do i hear cows you know sound like a herd bull um the other things are like uh you know where's he going you know if i'm up high i can see all this stuff i can hear it 
Oh, that makes sense. Um, so, so you're trying to like get the best feel for what this bull is doing also. Like you're trying to get a feel for if he has cows or if he's by himself. So like, um, uh, how do you tell if he has cows? Does he, does he tend to bugle a little bit different? Are you listening for cow sounds or how are you making out if he has cows or by himself? Well, if I'm close enough and I can hear cows, that's an obvious indicator, but also being up high, you know, I can glass them. Most of the time I can see, um, the other part is, is what does this, you know, bugle sound like, you know, does he sound like a more mature bull? Um, have a little weak bugle now, not always a hundred percent of the time. Can you tell? But the other thing is, does it sound like he's going back and forth tending cows? You know what Mm. I mean? Bugling over here and then he's over here, you know? So it's just some little key indicators, stuff like that. Oh, just nuances. Yeah. Like you're collecting uh, data and information, like as this thing's bugling and also probably reading his temperament, right? Like so much of this calling in bulls, at least when I used to do a lot of it, well, and even spot and stalking him, like is kind of reading the mood of the bull too, is like how fired up is he? Like how uh, you can kind of read that in the reaction of the bugle as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. How is he, you know, what's Mm -hmm. his stuff like that? Like, simple little things that you can pick up on to determine you know to make all these split decisions like do i go after him now or do i wait is he a herd bull do i use more cow calls do i use more bugles do i challenge him you know stuff like that like if you can pick up on all these little nuances of is it a herd bull satellite bull how many cows do i think is there you know it it'll dictate how you approach that bull how you call to him, stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Um, you're probably reading his reaction to different calls as well, right? It's like you may throw out a bugle and get an answer and then give him a couple cow calls and see how he hits that and kind of the the duration to how he to how long it takes him to answer you and then kind of the intensity and the read of his mood and his behavior will kind of dictate what your next move is, you know, also formulated by the information you, you found out already. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Not, Not all bulls are. And I don't, I think there's been some studies done on this about bulls. Um, and like, are they individuals are, you know, do they have their own personalities and, um, I was listening to one of Jason's podcasts and it was talked about and there is some research that indicates that, yeah, bulls have their own personalities and they're not all created equal, but it's a great point. Like some bulls you'll bugle at and they won't respond at all, but you cow call at them and then they'll bugle back, you know, and you can have that interaction. Hmm. That uh, Jason's podcast, uh, he's pretty intelligent. He's always got those biologists on there. Like he's given real facts and not bro science like me. Right. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I, I do tend to agree with you that it's like every bull is an individual, how he acts like uh, uh, and how aggressive he is, how he's going to run his herd. And sometimes you see some giant bulls that are satellite bulls and there's another bull that's like got a little bit more fighting them that's running the cows so yeah i definitely think you're spot on like they are individuals and they react differently to the calls and then 
you know, it depends on the season too and how fired up they are. Like are cows and estrus, they're actively trying to breed or is everything laying kind of low? And it seems to me like that rut like ebbs and flows too. It's not just a steady climb to the peak and then a drop off. Like it comes in and out depending on when those cows get hot. And, and um, you know, I've seen it where bulls are bugling their heads off one day. And then the next day I see a bull like not even with the cows feeding by himself like not bugling at all. So it, it definitely has a lot. It's, it's a uh, rut dependent as well. I think. No, absolutely. You know, you're absolutely right. Cause like, are, are we pre rut? Are we in the heart of the rut? Are we post rut? You know, all that matters too, but like the weather has, in my opinion, has quite a bit to do with that is, you know, the time frame of when them cows are going to come in heat, you know what I mean? And then what I mean by that, like, if you have a super dry year, like in my opinion, the rut is going to be more spread out over September than if you have um, a wet year where there's plenty of feed and it's super good feed. They're all going to come in like that's when you see them times like you have like three days in a row or five days in a row that elk are just screaming around every herd that you find. Like all them cows are coming into heat at the same time, but like the weather, if you have super dry year and terrible feed on the mountain, like I, I, I just feel like the rut is more spread out. You'll have a cow come in early into heat and a bull breeder. And then, you know, a day or two later, you'll have another one. And then maybe you'll have several more a week later, you know, it's just spread out more. Yeah. Um, yeah, I haven't really dialed that in, but yeah, that uh, that makes sense to me in my experiences too. And also the weather, like these storms can throw them into rut or throw these cows into estrus. It seems like you get a good rainstorm that comes in and gets wet. It seems like they'll start bugling like crazy or sometimes that can kick off the rut in a in a dry year as well. And, and then I've seen the opposite too, where a, where a storm comes in and kind of shuts them down for a couple of days. So it's a, it's almost like if a storm's coming in, flip a coin, but it can be good or it can be bad. Do you have that same experience? Yeah, I'm absolutely. The biggest bull I've ever killed was after being stuck in a tent for like 24 hours. And then we got a break at like three in the afternoon, went out and went over one hill and elk were right there screaming and I stuck a 360 bull, the biggest bull in my life. And it was just crazy rut fest, but I've also no. the way too, like, like you're saying, it just shut them all up. Yeah, exactly. Guys, that's a big mountain bull, big 360 bull over the ridge from camp and big rut fest. Man, that's the best. I, I do think that's when you kill big bulls is when you get into them and there's that competition back and forth, like when they're really fired up. Uh, it just seems like you can get on them and work them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's when it's crazy like that. Usually you have bulls all around the herd you know not just the herd bull but you've got multiple satellites plus raghorns you, you know you've got every dynamic there in the herd that you want and it's, it's crazy yeah it's the best 
Um, so, so okay, we're working ridge lines, and you all of a sudden you hear a bugle, and you judge them. And I'm like you, I can pretty much tell from the 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 sound of the voice, you know, what type of bull it is. And sure, I've been fooled, and sure, there's a great big bull with a pretty bugle, but most of the time they're just raspy, raspy, and like uh, like I was chasing a bull last year that was a big 350 bull that was nicknamed the dragon, and half the time he wouldn't even bugle the high note; he'd just like growl and roar. It was just so raspy so you can kind of tell by the sound of the bugle so say you find a a good bull and he answers you down in that canyon and you said you called him a couple times from the locate position probably just to get like uh to gather that information that you were talking about and also to get his exact positioning and i always like to see him it seems like i i hear a bull it seems like the next goal for me is always to see that bull and see what he's doing so i'm glassing for him and looking for him or getting to a place where maybe i can see him so so what's your next move like after you've located one it's a bull that you want to shoot uh you like uh taking tabs on the wind and gonna try to move close into this bull or what would be like uh your standard uh mo on a bull like that yeah so after locating there's you know some key information i want to pull in really quick um what time of day is it you know what's the wind doing and where is that bull at and also where's he headed you know are, are they headed to bed well maybe maybe my best place to wait and let him go to bed put his cows to bed and lay down and then I go into his bedroom and try and play with him but there's definitely I want to pull in that key information and I want to have him pinpointed because if I am going to drop down and circle around on him if it's super early in the morning and I've got time where the thermals are going down I want to know exactly where he's at when I go and make that play Oh, see, Cody, I think this is the difference. I think um, uh, I think this is the difference between, um, you know, good callers or callers and then like like really proficient, uh, good callers like uh, next level callers. I, I think it's like more so than the noises we're making. It's like a, a being an elk hunter and really using those instincts to figure out where that bull is headed and trying to put yourself in front of them or trying to just have a formulated game plan instead of just like chasing after this bull, calling at him and chasing him, you know, and having them respond back and having this correspondence. Like I see so many times the guys are just chasing these elk and they kind of abandon all their elk hunting instincts or skill set. Like they'll end up walking right in the middle of the park and walking right into the herd before seeing them or like not paying attention that they're going to their bed. And then they just take up chase behind the elk, following them all the way to their bed and elk are either walking away from them or, you know, they're, they're bumping into them once they get up. So I really think that's what separates like the, the men from the boys, so to speak, is like just that, that, that elk knowledge of yours, like really trying to see where that bull is headed and trying to formulate the best game plan to kill that bull instead of just the correspondence back and forth. Yeah, exactly. Like you talked about chasing bulls and especially like herd bulls. I, there's a very low percentage that you're going to get that bull to turn around just by following him and calling to him. He'll probably have that interaction with you but he's not going to leave them cows to turn around and come mess with you. Like I've found the best way to kill them big bulls is get in front of them, you know? 
Oh, man, isn't that it? If you get in front of them or you get to where they wanted to head in a couple calls, it, it makes you look like the best caller in the world because they just come trotting in because that's where they're headed anyways. It yeah. makes so much sense, Cody. So yeah. so you're here in this bowl and then you're formulating a game plan like, oh, he's he's down in this meadow down in here. He's working his way up this side hill. All right, I'm going to work up the side hill as well. Instead of diving down in after him, I'm going to work alongside him on this side hill and try to beat him to his bed or maybe call him to the side. It's always tough to call bulls backwards from where they just were. Like they don't want to come back to where they just were. They want to head to where they're going. Or like if you make it easy for them in the same elevation to just slide over and see it because they're already there. But that that coming back to where they are, it just doesn't work that often, just like you're saying. Yeah, no, it, typically it doesn't work. Um, now you can call them in like you're talking. Like if I'm on contour on the same level as the bull, now that's a different story. I got a good likelihood there of having a chance to call that bull in. But chasing him and just following him, they're definitely nine times out of ten not coming back. You know, especially if they're headed to bed. Like you're better off just wasting the morning watching them, taking tabs keeping track of them and just go where they want to go or following them and then getting in his bedroom, coming in above him when the wind switches and trying to kill him then. Oh, wow. Okay. So like if, if you don't have a good play on him or can't get to him, cause a lot of these elk we locate are so far away and then they're moving so many miles. So a lot of times you're just going to keep tabs on this bowl, know where he is, and then you're going to formulate your good plan for like late afternoon, or I guess uh, you said after the thermal sw- switch. So you're almost middle of the day, and then you're coming in to his bedroom, and then you're going to try to call at him that way. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, some people say that, you know, you just mess bulls up calling going into their bedroom, but I've, I tell you right now, Brian, I've killed the majority of my bulls. I would say like eighty percent of my bulls. I have killed in between 10 o'clock and two o'clock in the afternoon. Wow. Like it's so successful for me. Wow. That surprises me. Yeah. Hmm. So like um, when you, when you move back in middle of the day, so the key is to know where to hold up then, right? So you're not bugling at this bowl the whole time, or you're not cow calling at this bowl this whole time. Like once you locate them and you kind of hear them bugle, then you're making moves or formulating this plan. So if it isn't as bad, like you kill the majority of your bulls, you're going to kind of see where he puts away, not call at him the whole time. And now you can kind of go, okay, he's in that timber pocket in there. And now you can kind of sneak above him and be able to hold up close enough to him to where uh, you're going to annoy him or he's going to want to come see you, but also like uh, 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 not too close where you're bumping him. It's probably like a fine line. That's probably where like a lot of the art comes in, I bet. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, once I've got him located and I can track where he's going, like there's no need for me to keep calling that because right? it's just wasted effort, basically. Um, I I just let him go bed and then I'll, I'll slip in there as quiet as I can because once I announce my presence, then they know exactly where I'm at, right? So if I can slip in there and get within that 100 yards, I, I want to trigger – when I go into the bedroom and call it these bulls, I want to trigger that fight or flight. I want that bull to get up and be like, I don't know where you came from, but I'm coming to whoop you. And if I can get within that hundred yards, 
there may be some conversation that goes on between me and the bull to get him to do that. But nine times out of 10, that's what happens. He gets up and comes to fight. Man, a hundred yards. That's, um, it takes some spot and stock skill to like not bust him in the timber at a hundred yards. So you got to be moving slow. You're glassing in front of you for cows, glassing for the bull, and then probably echo locate and like listening for him to bugle or in there and go, okay, he's a little bit closer, but hundred yards is pretty close even in that cover. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I, you know, I, I don't like to give guys like, Hey, if you do this every time, make this sound at them every time it's going to work. I, I'm more like put all these things in your playbook and even spot and stock comes into that too. Right. You've got to be able to get close because if you can't get close, you're, you're not going to kill an elk with your bow. So I, I use everything like to your advantage. I it doesn't matter if it's me Jason Phelps, Joel Turner, whoever it is, whoever you like, whoever you want to follow, like all of them teach something, but put all these things in your playbook and try them, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. I think you're, I think you're right. Cause like, like we were talking about every bull's different, every situation is different. And it seems like the code to unlock that is kind of ever changing. It's like the one thing that worked on this bull may not work on the other one. And you do build like some tendencies. Like I bet you have a protocol of things you go through. So once you sneak into that hundred yards, are you going to let a couple cow calls go? Are you going to let a bugle go or it changes depending on the scenario, right? Whether you have cows or not, or what's your go-to, Cody? Yeah, so it all depends. Do I know exactly where that is? That's the first thing. If I don't, then what I'm doing is a couple soft cow calls, and all I'm doing is trying to elicit that response so I can, in, you know, def pinpoint that bull. And then once I've got him pinpointed, now am I within that 100 yards or am I not? So if I can pinpoint him with a couple cow calls, I may shut up again and move forward. And I'll keep moving until I get to that point to where I feel like, hey, all right, now I can scream at this bull and trigger that fight or flight, right? I, I keep it very nonchalant until I'm within that 100 yards. So when I say nonchalant, like just cow calls, soft, easy, nothing that's threatening or anything like that. And then once I get in that 100-yard range, typically what I like to do is let him bugle, and then I'll walk right on top of him, cut him off. And I'm trying to initiate, hey, I'm here to fight. Let's do this. Man, that is picking a fight, isn't it? It's like yeah. It seems to me like uh, back in my younger days, I'd have to kind of work bulls up to that, and i just get them more and more mad. And then that, boy, when you cut them off on that, that bugle – it uh nothing fires up a bull more i like that so um you're rolling into the timber a couple soft, soft cow calls like he may come into that he may not you're trying to get a response where he'll bugle and then depending on the situation i bet sometimes he bugles and he's coming right away and you don't even need to do anything and then sometimes you're going to use those cow calls hear him and go okay he's still 300 yards out i'm going to sneak in a little bit closer and then i love that that you're not even bugling to start the whole sequence that you're actually you know trying to let him bugle and the moment he does you're cutting him off that would infuriate me and i, I can just imagine like the those bulls i bet that does elicit a 
a pretty quick response. Like, man, he is coming right now. Like you've you've just snuck into his cows. Like you're in his bubble. He doesn't have any choice at that point. He's almost got to come fight you off. Oh yeah, yeah. You cut him off and get right in his bedroom. He's he's not happy about it for sure. And nine times out of ten, you're gonna you're gonna have some sort of look at this bull to where he's gonna come investigate. And then, you know, from there, it all just goes into what is your setup? You know, where's your hangout points? You've got to determine all these things and set up in great spots to where either that bull has to come look and you're within that range when he comes to look that you can get that shot. Yeah, that's the tricky thing, right? It's where to set up. And so uh, when you say hang up spots, you're talking about like uh, open parks or like ridge lines or any place where they come over and have a view of you calling like the, the gigs up, then they want to see you. So like you're trying to identify, OK, he's got to come over this ridge to see me. I want to be able to shoot to this ridge or he's going to come out to this park to try to get a look at me or the edge of this park before he ever walks out into it. So I need to be on that edge of the park and look for a shot when he gets to the edge. Is that what you're talking about? Yep, absolutely. It, open parks where he has to come across anything. Typically, them bulls will not come across openings, you know. Um, I want to be within... Whatever your effective range is, whether it's 40 yards, 50, I want to be within that yardage of that hang-up spot. And then that way, when that bull steps up there, I've got a good opportunity to shoot that bull. Um, anything, if you're in the timber, like thick stuff, if you're trying to call him uphill through thick stuff, typically bulls are going to take the path of least resistance. Um, same way we would if we were just hiking or whatever. Um, so thick stuff trying to call them uphill um i try and get on the same level especially with the wind you know how the wind is in the mountains out west like it it could be great and then all of a sudden it swirls but now if i'm coming in on contour on the same level on the side of him now if that wind swirls i've got less of a chance of getting busted Mm, yeah uh so important uh so yeah i like uh i like what you said like uh they take the path of least resistance. You, like you can tell as you're walking around the woods, as you're following an elk trail, like how they move through the mountains. So you can almost foresee that when you're calling in a bull, when you've got a bunch of downfall timber in front of you, like he's obviously going to come around that. And I heard a good tip too, when you were talking to some guys there at the Western Summit, I really liked your tip about the wind where uh, you were talking about if you're calling in a bull and the wind's right in your face, you don't know whether that bull is going to come to the left or the right of you. But it, if if you have the wind blowing from right to left and you're set up and the bull's in front of you, you can almost guarantee that that bull's going to come on the left-hand side and try to catch your wind over there. So you can almost foresee like how he's going to come through that stuff or where he's going to show up at. Yeah, absolutely. So if I use the wind as like a steering wheel, what I try and do is put that wind right on my right cheek. Now, if if that bull goes to my right and tries to go get my wind, he's got to go clear around to where he's almost behind me to get that wind. But if he if I put it right here, I can, like you said, almost guarantee you he's going to come left. And now the other thing it does for me I know he's going to go left if he tries to circle me, but also I can swing a lot further to my left as a right-hand shooter than I can to my right. So now I've set myself up in two ways 
that is going to work to my advantage. Yeah, I'd say. It's, and it's it's like one thing to call in a bull. It's another thing to shoot him. Like that's where the chess match just begins, getting the bull to come in. They're so tough to get a perfect arrow in as well as they, you know, they come in. They're looking for those calls and, and they're on high alert. Like at this point, spot and stock is out of the out of the game plan or out of the realm because the minute you move, they just pick up on that movement so well. So if they're coming, it's like you got to hold still where you're at. And then um, it seems like uh, uh, they'll catch you drawn quite a bit too. So gosh, you got to be strategic. Like when you draw, when they're coming by limbs, when they're coming by a tree. And also, like, when you're calling in bulls, like, you don't have a chance to range those said bulls and then shoot them. Like, you almost have to have some yardages picked out. Like, uh, it's absolute chaos when they come in, but they just won't put up with any movement. So is that how you're playing it as well? Like, how you're getting uh, ranges on a couple different marks, and then you're really paying attention to your draw, trying to draw where that bull can't see you? Yep, absolutely. So I'm always getting three or four ranges. You know, I try and do like 20, 40, 60. So I've got a good idea of what the distance is. Um, and then, yeah, I'm if I'm calling a bull uphill or, or there's some sort of terrain feature that they got to come over to see me, um, as soon as I see antler tips, like if it's open, more open, I'm drawn as soon as I see antler tips. Um, if there's a big brush pile or, you know, some shrubbery or something, um, I'll use that to my advantage. They go behind that, I'll draw, or, you know, thick timber. They go behind something. If I can't see him, more than likely he can't see me is kind of the approach I take to draw him. And I'll use any of them points to go ahead and draw my bow and get ready. Hmm. Yeah, it's smart. So, so like, with the sounds that you're making, like, um, you talked about your locator bugle. You really like that high note. Uh, seems like that high note really carries to like locate bulls is the reason that you're using that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So I, I use the example of like, if you beagle next to your buddy and just do a growl, you know, he doesn't have to plug his ears. He's fine, but I want that high note that rings the ears. And so if I hit that high note, my buddy standing next to me, you can, he's usually doing this cause he doesn't want ears, ears ring. So it's the same on the bulls. I want to ring that bull's ear to get his attention and get him to answer back. Yep. And then as you're getting in close and you're making your strategic setup, you're making a couple cow sounds, probably not many cows in estrus or anything yet, nothing too fancy. couple cow calls, see if you can elicit a, a response. And then you're going to get close. And your go-to, it sounds like, is to really pick a fight with that bull, is to get into that 100 yards and then scream a bugle, cutting them off, or like uh, uh, giving them no choice but to come check you out. Yeah, absolutely. I'm 90% of the time I'm trying to pick that fight, but the other 10% is like I'm trying to figure out what's the demeanor of that bull. You know, if he's not responding to bull sounds, then yeah, I'll go to like ester swines on cow calls, stuff like that. Yeah, I used to love that. That estrus wine used to really get their attention. It seems like I would try to get in close and then give them some cow sounds and then maybe an estrus wine or something like that. Seemed like that would seal the deal for me like back in the day quite a bit. But it is like reading these bulls response as well. And I heard another thing that you said where 
you're really trying to copy the bull. So let's say you move in and it's not a perfect scenario. And now all of a sudden, like you call it that bull and maybe he was 100 out, maybe he was 150 and he responds, but he's not coming in. So like, are, are you going to take this chance and try to keep moving in closer to the bull and then also like pay attention to like what he's responding to as far as a bugle or cow calls and then try to really key into that? Or how are you reading this bull's reactions? So whatever, if the bull just won't come in for whatever reason, as long as he's not moving, um, I'll, I'll take that opportunity. And I like to call it like, uh, like seeking annoy. So kind of <laughs> like, or, you know, like, oh, I know you are, but what am I? And then you just go back and forth. The biggest thing I like to tell guys that haven't called a lot, if you don't know what to do, then go ahead and just copy the bull, mimic the bull. What is the bull doing? But on top of that, you've got to match his intensity. And the other part to that is always get the last word in. Never let that bull bugle and you don't respond, right? And even you could even take that one step further. You know, if you're matching his intensity and copycatting him and he still won't break and come, then I'll start on top of him cutting him off, you know? It's all this game where, like, uh, you're trying to annoy him and play this copycat game, but at some point, you're trying to escalate this to where he gets mad. And it sometimes it helps as a caller, like, if you get mad too, like, hey, let's do this. I'm getting tired of waiting. But, yeah, I mean, copycat him and then master intensity. And if it still doesn't work and he won't break, like go to cutting them off. Like at the end of his beagle, you start yours, you know, and do the same thing. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, I I haven't heard that. Like uh, get the last word in. Uh, so I'll definitely have to pay more attention to that. Like getting the last word in. Like a lot of times, uh, seem like I I wanted to call like sparingly. And like sometimes when I, when he wouldn't get a response out of me or me not answering, sometimes we'd like fire him up more. Like, hey, where are you? I thought we were doing something here. Like, where where did you go? Or what do you do? Like, I've seen I've seen that happen as well. But yeah, that's interesting. Getting the last word in, I'll have to remember that. And it is like you can just hear the intensity in that bull's voice. It's really like reading him. Um, and you can see the longer that you do it, the more and more fired up he's getting, the madder he's getting. And you, he finally like hits this breaking point. Uh, it seems like, like if you can keep annoying him. And then the other thing is like making noise too. Like, um, you know, I've seen you break sticks and um, really scrape. Like, I think that adds to the whole story that you're trying to tell. And you probably called in bulls just from scraping as well with uh, not much calling too, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. The more oh, wow. real that you can add to it. Sometimes I've had bulls where I didn't even make a call. I just raked because they were being so quiet. It's like, I'll just go to raking and have bulls in my lap. So any of that, like walking through the woods and, you know, if you're trying to mimic an elk, elk aren't quiet walking through the woods. Like I'm not afraid to step on sticks or break branches, you know. Now, if I'm slipping in on a bull, that's a different thing to try and get to that hundred yards to cut him off as soon as he beagles. But as far as just moving and calling the elk, no reason for me to be quiet. Like I can break branches, step on whatever, and I'll use raking quite a bit. Oh, wow. 
So uh, when you're raking, you just find a you uh, uh, don't pack an antler with you. You just like grabbing a branch and then just breaking branches and making noise and kicking rocks and things and just making a ruckus that he can hear then. Yeah, absolutely. Just trying to sound like an elk going through the woods. And then, you know, for the raking, like there's there's some trees that are better than others, but any tree will work, brush, whatever. Just pick up a stick and just beat it up and rake it and. You know, I'll take the stick and just put it right against the tree after I broke some branches and just up and down that tree just to mimic that sound of the horn rubbing against the tree. Man, yeah, um, that's pretty a pretty low impact play, too, just to see what's going on. And I best sometimes it like elicits a response just off that, like he'll hear you raking and then bugle at you that way, too. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. You can hear that bugle just by raking. Mm-hmm. What I heard, uh, I think Remy told me like uh, a couple of years ago too that he took his water ba- blotter, uh, pulled his top off it, and then acted like he was pissing with his water bottle or something. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know if that's that's what I remember, anyways, from the conversation. But yeah, you're trying to you're trying to sound like elk. You can imagine a bull sitting out there, like listening to this all go down, and this is like common practice in September, there's competition for these cows. So pretty soon he starts, you know, hearing the bugles, hearing the cow calls, hearing the raking, hearing rocks rolling. Like you just start painting the picture of elk being there where he just can't stand it anymore. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you've heard elk move, they're not quiet. So, I mean, for me, it's like, if I could just sound like elk and especially, you know, when we're three or four guys, like typically if you're rolling three or four guys on an elk hunt, you're not that quiet anyways. So it's, if you're going to break stuff, might as well rake sound like elk and just try and elicit that response. Hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, so do you change your tactics for when you're calling for yourself versus when you're calling for other guys? Cause I know you share so many hunts with these guys. Like how would that scenario change or how are you, uh, getting those guys to set up to use the benefit of having multi guys versus when you're calling just for yourself? Yeah, it's definitely a lot tougher. Um, when you're calling for yourself, it's, the problem with calling for yourself is once you make that call, like that bull's got you pinpointed, especially if you're close, like that hundred yards. So typically what I'll do still using the same, same as what I've always used. I'm still calling the same. The biggest thing that I change is wherever I call from, I try and move wherever that wind's at. I try and move 20 yards. So if I call, I'm going to move 20 yards into the wind. Right. Just so that bull, if he does poke over that little rise or whatever it is that he doesn't, wherever I called from, he's looking there and not where I moved to. That way, if I don't get my bow drawn or whatever, then I can, you know, if I've moved, I've got more of an opportunity to draw my bow where he's not looking opposed to where he knows where I'm at. Oh, that's smart. So, yeah, the last place you're making a call, then you're trying to move 20 yards quick before he comes in so he doesn't know your exact location. Yep, absolutely. Oh, that's smart. Okay, so now if you have a buddy, 
uh, are you setting them up in front of you and then you're trying to call and you're trying to strategically place them like a little bit in front of you to have that give them a better chance at being able to get a shot at that bowl when he comes? Yeah, absolutely. Get the shooter placed out in front and then I'll go back. I try and not go back too far. I like to have that visual with whoever I'm hunting with, whoever the shooter is. So if we need to move up, like we can motion each other like, Hey, let's move. You know, we can still have that communication. But, uh, the other big thing too, is with a collar shooter setup. once you set that shooter, like, like you're talking any slight movement with elk, like they key in on that. They see that stuff. Um, so I tell the shooter, like, don't move, you know, let me steer the bull with the calling. Like if he's circling, I'll move the opposite way and pull him back to you or whatever. So I, I don't like the shooter to move at all. I like to let the caller move and, and initiate that. Mm. Yeah. So you can hear which direction the bull's coming and go, Oh man, he's coming too far left. I need to scoot back to the right or whatever the case is to try to steer that bull or guide him by your shooter. Gosh, that makes sense. And I also like that you can keep your eyes on him, Like in case you guys have to move and keep chasing the bull and make another set, or it's probably advantageous to be able to stop that bull, like when you see he's drawn or when you see, you know, the bull needs another call. Or there's probably like a million scenarios where that just having that line of sight to your shooter makes all the difference. Yeah, it definitely helps. Like any of them scenarios, that, you know, like you're talking, if the bull's going the wrong way or going to, you know, not come in range, the caller can move and try and pull him back, you know. Hmm. Man, yeah, um, there's so much to it, and a lot of times it seems like calling is is the same as any other hunting where you're just really relying upon your instincts, and these these instincts are honed through, like, years of hunting these elk and, you know, failing and making the wrong calls and also making the right calls and just seeing so many different scenarios. It seems like um, you're really trusting your gut when you locate these bulls and just reacting. Like you're trying to read what they're reacting to. You're trying to read where the bull's going to come. Like you're making all these micro decisions that hopefully end up, you know, with you getting an arrow in a bull. But really, it's like just it's honing these instincts, isn't it? Like just making good judgments. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the the biggest thing is like there's nothing that will replace time in the field and experience. You know what I mean? Like, uh, these like new hunters, you know, they want all these answers, but I'm like, everything is so, um, situation dependent that all these little decisions that we make and the information that we gather, like 90% of this, we, we look back on past experiences, you know? That's so true. Yeah, it's spot on. Yeah, it's past experiences just guide us for the future experiences. Man, that's so it. And it, it seems like calling's just that same way. It's just you're you're always these bulls are always teaching us, right? It's like the uh the moment you think you got one, like uh he gets you fooled, like uh or does the opposite of what you think. But we're we're just always learning out there, trying to be better for the next scenario. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And that you know, I feel bad for some of these guys that have to be weekend warriors because they don't have the time to spend but man patience kills the bull you know if you mess one up i i tell guys all the time like don't be afraid to call like if you mess it up you just go find a new one 
but when you mess it up, you got to learn why, you know, break it down for five minutes before you move on and learn from it. and learn from it, you know, you move on, go find another bull. Yeah. Yeah. That's so it. Yeah, man. Um, that's the stuff. And, and you can't be afraid to fail either. Or like, you're afraid to make decisions just react and make those decisions and um uh go for it let the cards fall where they do if you got to go find another bull you got to go find another bull and you're not going to kill every bull you find like their instincts are pretty keen like they're they're good at giving you the slip or stopping with that one tree in between their vitals like that just happens and that happens every season you know i I don't kill the first bull i go after very rarely you know usually takes me a couple or a few encounters and i i imagine colin's the same way you just don't call in every bull that you find it's like you try hard you go in there and see what he's reacting off but maybe the wind swirls or maybe it wasn't the right setup and like you say you don't dwell on it but you think about it you look at it objectively of what went wrong and you go okay well this is what i did wrong or this is what i should have done or maybe there was nothing i could have done different but you know time to go find another one time to go uh, test the skills again and call one of these buggers in and get an arrow in them yeah absolutely i mean failure should be your biggest learner right mm-hmm but- And you're absolutely right. Like these bulls are not all equal and they're not all the same. So like one bull may come screaming in and the other one may be like, not today. It ain't happening. And it doesn't matter what you do or what you try. It just doesn't work. And you know, as well as I know in bow hunting, like there's so many things that have to go right for it all to come together. But that's where you lean back on your experiences in the past and you know you know what you failed at like i you know listening to you talk like we've made every mistake that there is to make and you learn from that and that's i mean you're so darn successful now that it's you know it's awesome that's so true yeah, that's the only reason we get any good at bow hunting is because we fail every way possible and figure out like uh, uh, even if we're slow learners, like they just teach us how to be better and um, move on to the next one. Go find a bull that will come in or go find a bull that will hold still. Uh, man, that's so killer. Um, what do you got coming up this year, Cody? You draw uh, your Wyoming tag going to a gnarly place? Um, no, I didn't draw any tags this year. Um, had terrible luck in the draws, but... Uh... You know, Wyoming General doesn't suck. So, yeah, be hunting Wyoming General bulls. Uh, got a leftover cow tag. So, we'll be doing that late season. Um, drew a Colorado mule deer tag second season. So, we'll be going to Colorado uh, November. And then, uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll poke around a little bit here for deer as well. But uh, with the harsh winter, uh, I don't think I'll be shooting anything unless it's giant. Yep. Man, you guys have had a gnarly winter down there, haven't you? Yeah, it's been terrible. Yeah. Yeah, that is too bad. Um, so yeah, you got your Wyoming general. I'm sure you'd be chasing bulls and then um Colorado deer. How are you gonna call that thing in? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've never uh I just never got into the whole mule deer thing just because once I found elk and you know the back and forth that I can have with elk, they're just mule deer is in my mind, are not as great as elk. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, well, um, yeah, I uh, I can't battle you too much. Like, I love to chase muleys in the country they're in, but there is something about elk that is so thrilling to hunt those things. Like, the excitement level is just off the Richter scale on those things. So, yeah, I can't say that I blame you much, but uh, good on you, like, branching out and hunting that November hunt. Like, the, the November rut is pretty fun for muleys, too, and uh, especially in Colorado where they can grow some of those giant dark horn racks absolutely it's uh i'm looking forward to it so little late season rut action it should be awesome yeah good um you got a buddy you're going with on that one yeah yeah he's, he's gonna meet me down there he's gonna get uh we're gonna try and get him just a over-the-counter elk tag for that unit as well oh cool well yeah i'm I'm sure you'll fill your season and um, I'm sure I'll see some animals come across your feed, whether it's you or some of your buddies, but yeah, you're always getting after them. Uh, man, I just appreciate you sharing your tactics. Is there anything that I missed or any insider tips that um, uh, you think would help guys out this season? Don't be afraid to call, get out there and go fail. I mean, it's a huge learning and uh, you know, if you don't know what to do, just mimic the bull. If all yeah. else get in close, and uh try and come in on the same level and you know don't be afraid man such good advice yeah well uh thanks so much cody for like sharing all your insight at calling these bulls like i really appreciate it like um uh, uh you're just a wealth of knowledge with all your experience and um i really like hanging out with you on those summits uh, i always have a good time and a few laughs so yeah thanks for hanging out at the summits make sure to keep in touch this year and let me know if you need anything and then um yeah, just be following along on your adventures and see what type of bull you kill. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on, Brian, and uh, good luck to you this fall as well, man. Yep. All right, thanks, Cody. We'll talk soon. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Thanks again to Cody for being on the podcast. Thanks again to our sponsors, Savage, Six Sour. Uh, thanks to Black Ovis. Thanks to Camo Fire. Uh, thanks to Eastman's for all their support. Again, the promo codes, uh, if you want those uh, on on Black Ovis, the promo code ELEVATED10. Uh, for the Mule Deer course, put in Brian MDC. Uh, Tag Hub, you can put in Brian, and uh, that'll save you a bit of money and um, some good perks there. So um, hopefully you guys are getting out on these adventures. Man, bow hunting is so difficult, just in the grind, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, just... Uh, uh, driving throughout the night to different places, uh, uh, hunting as hard as I can. Gosh, I lost some carpenters, so I'm having to do all the carpentry work as well, or uh, the majority of it. And, um, man, it's just uh, so busy. But it seems like um, I thrive in the chaos, and it's about all I can do. So we'll get these podcasts out, and then um, I'm going to go hunt some elk and chase them around. We're getting into the, the heart of the season now. So, uh, yeah, I haven't hunted elk for a day yet, so I'm really excited to get out, hear my first bugle, and start chasing some big six points around. Uh, I know my buddies have been chasing them and getting into some action here and there. So, um, yeah, it's November 12th today as I'm getting this podcast out. It'll be released to you guys the 14th Thursday. But, um, man, it's elk season. It's time to get after these things. So, um Super pumped, bunch of good adventures for me, just gnarly country, big miles, full effort, close calls, big plays, it's like, man, I just, um, yeah, this is what I wait all year for, so I'm super pumped, uh, season's here, uh, make sure you're getting out and going hard and putting in full effort as um, comes and goes so quick, and we'll be in another off-season before we know it, so um, thanks again, guys, for all the support, I really appreciate it, and uh, just wish you 
really good hunting this season and um, good adventures. Keep yourself safe out there. Have some fun. Uh, enjoy it. And um, man, with that, check in with you guys next week.